I wanted to find someone to marry. I hoped to have a family. Um, I thought that if you just went through life, made good decisions, relied on yourself, um, you know, you wouldn't go through any trials or tribulations, that life would be good and easy. There was a point in my time that I'm not proud of at all that, you know, as a full-blown uh, criminal, you know, sold drugs, did drugs, stole, robbed, everything I possibly could. Whenever I quit doing the hard drugs, like it was this huge victory, like this whole celebration. My family was like, man, he's great. The downside is, is that I still held on to alcohol. I just went into a major, major downward spiral with alcoholism. And it was just getting dangerous for me, dangerous for Prima, dangerous for our kids. I started to realize there was a, a problem and it was starting to affect our marriage. And I, I had to get the kids and I out of the situation and that's when it got really bad. There came a time where the partnership that I was in with my family just kind of imploded and we just had a major falling out. Prima had, had taken the kids and left home and it had gotten really, really bad and I had stayed up for, you know, I don't know how many days just on a really, really, really dark bender and two policemen woke me up and I had tied a, an extension cord around my neck. For the first time in my life, I was really thinking like suicidal thoughts. I woke up to two policemen one of them handed me divorce papers and another one handed me protective orders against my family. I thought divorce was the only option and I thought that um, I wouldn't fit in anymore at Gateway and I wanted to turn my back and pull away. But there were people that wouldn't let me do that. Wes decided to get help and checked himself into a treatment center. It gave me a, a glimmer of hope. There was a moment in that rehab but I felt a physical hug in that moment. Right then, I literally sat up on the edge of my bed and started laughing and crying at the same time, you know, and it was just an overwhelming sense of security, you know? And I knew that second that my life was gonna change forever, I really do. As I was watching him start over, it was a new beginning for me as well. And I finally just, said, God, I, I give this up to you and I will follow you. And, and Jesus, I need you in my life. I can't do this. We knew we had to meet with our small group every week and just be there because that was the safest place for us where we were supported and loved. They were pouring into me and be befriending me and calling me. Looking back, you can see where God was putting people in place to get us through it. When you get so intertwined with a group of people that don't care anything about your past or who you are, they just take you for what you are, you truly just get to experience this whole other level of life. I always call up my casserole friends, you know, it's like, who's going to bring you a casserole from the hospital or whatever, you know. And now we lead the life group that that had kind of emerged from that. And if you told me that years ago that that would be the case, I would have said, no, I don't know how to do that. How could I possibly lead a life group? But, you know, together we have figured that out and we feel like we can give back and, and provide that environment that was provided for us when we so needed it. And hopefully along the way, help someone see that, you know, Jesus can bring you the healing you need.
that great? I'm so glad they shared their story with us. And I tell you, this room is filled with amazing stories. And some of you, like Wes and Prima, have been through some really dark times and yet came through on the other side. Others of you may be in that dark time even now. And this series is intended to give us hope and even tools to where we can, no matter how bad things have gotten, move towards health in our relationships. We've called it How to Kill a Relationship in 30 Days, and some of you are thinking, oh, I'm an overachiever. I've killed him way quicker than that. But we've looked at five relationship killers according to Prepare and Enrich, which is an assessment that's helped three million couples from different ethnicities and backgrounds. And these are the five common relationship killers. First, you communicate in code. You're unclear of what you really mean. You expect them to guess what you want, and that doesn't work. We also looked at how getting your way always is a relationship killer. Instead, becoming flexible, more humble. We looked at dwelling on what's wrong, and that doesn't work either. Instead, focus on what's right. Last week, we looked at how we avoid committing fully. And if you missed any of those, you can go to my website and you can read the notes, you can listen to the messages. But today we're talking about avoiding conflict. And this one's interesting because this one actually has a long, slow death. It may not be immediate, but it will kill a relationship no matter what the relationship, husband, wife, Family, friend, coworker. you see what happens is we end up building up bitterness and we allow that to drive us away from each other. Avoiding conflict poisons our relationships. And what we need to move towards is realizing if someone matters to you, then stepping in and bringing healing in the midst of conflict should be more important. Now, let me walk you through how this works with a couple of sketches, right? So you have a relationship and and there's a connection. You're traveling along life together. Things are going well, but then all of a sudden there's a conflict. Your paths cross and it's in that moment that you have to decide what are we going to do with this? Now here's the catch. We deal with conflict differently and many times based on how we were raised, based on our own personality, And so as a result, it's in this critical moment that the relationship will either go in a worse direction where you drift further and further apart or where you can actually restore the connection and the relationship. But here's what happens. In the midst of the conflict, typically it engenders anger. Now, anger in and of itself is not evil. It's what you do with your anger that will determine the damage done. And so in the midst of that, we should start to see anger as more of a warning that can guide us back into the right direction. Dallas Willard, a professor of philosophy from USC, UT won yesterday, so I thought I should mention USC. (laughs) Some of you are here today out of gratitude to God for that game. (laughs) Others of you are here because you're praying for the Cowboys tonight. Others of you are thinking, do they still play football? I'm not even (laughs) sure what you're talking about. So Dallas Willard, let's go back to him. Sorry, diversion. He said this, 
The primary function of anger in life is to alert me to an obstruction to my will and immediately raise alarm and resistance before I even have time to think about it. An obstruction to your will. When you start to feel angry, that's the moment to ask yourself, wait, what's bothering me here? Why am I so angry? See, pain, when we experience pain, that's a a warning to stop doing that. It's hurting you. Anger is an emotional response that can be the same. It can be an alert, a warning. Wait, something's going on here. There's an obstruction to your will. Ask the question, why am I so angry? Why is this bothering me so much? And that's where it leads to the sketch again. In the midst of your anger, if you seek to resolve it top right, you can actually reconnect, maybe even closer and stronger than you were before, or you can continue to go in different directions further and further apart. See, here's the catch. I have bad news for you. Conflict is inevitable. I remember when my wife and I were dating and even engaged, things were going so well. And I remember we had premarital counseling, and the pastor told us, the goal of marriage is to fight fairly. And I thought, that's so sad. <laughs> They've lost that loving feeling, right? We fight fairly. We never fight until the honeymoon, right? And, and then we've been through some doozies in the last 25 years. I remember one in particularly embarrassing moment. We got into this large argument We were at the zoo, and we had little kids, and the kids wanted to go this way, and I didn't want to do this or that, and so I ended up just letting them leave me, me in the stroller, and so I sat in that stroller. (laughs) As they walked around the herpetarium, I just stewed, a grown man sitting in a stroller for about an hour and a half. (laughs) Little children would come around the corner and see me, and I didn't care. (laughs) I was so mad. There have been times in our marriage where we just were so upset with each other. Things were so difficult. But conflict is inevitable, but we can learn to resolve conflict. See, what happens is a simple misunderstanding can become something so much darker and so much more painful. And the closer we get to someone, the more opportunities for conflict arise. But when we choose to avoid conflict, we're ignoring what's happening. We're acting like it didn't happen or it didn't hurt. What ends up happening is it inhibits the relationship. There's a broken connection and the gap can widen. And there's certain kind of conflict. I need to, as an aside, say this. This is important. There are types of conflict, sexual abuse, domestic, physical abuse, emotional abuse, that often need the intervention of professionals or even law enforcement. I can't talk through all the nuances of the different types of conflict. But whenever safety is no longer certain, professionals need to be involved. But what we're going to talk about today is the majority of the conflict that we face. And if we can learn to nip it in the bud, when it's a misunderstanding or even a a mis moment, it can stop it from becoming something far worse. So I want to look at three passages, two of which come from Jesus. And it's a little bit confusing in some ways because Jesus seems to address the person who has offended, but he also seems to address the person that's been offended. So which one is supposed to take responsibility? Let's let's look at these. Matthew 5. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, 
Leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. He's basically saying, if you're coming and you're wanting to reconnect with God, you're on your way to Gateway South and there's somebody who you have hurt, it's more important to go and make things right and then come to the six o'clock service. (laughs) By the way, tonight we have ice cream if you want to come. I heard an applause. (laughs) (laughs) Grocery stores sell ice cream too, but but anyway, it's going to be free. It's going to be great. But it's interesting because if you have offended someone, you need to take responsibility. You need to go and make things right. But then listen to this verse. In Matthew 18, Jesus says, if your brother sins, in some versions it says, against you, go and show him his fault. And when the two of you are alone, if he listens to you, you have regained your brother. So which is it? Is the person who has offended someone responsible or is it the person who's been offended? It's both. See, Jesus knows us well enough to know that neither of us wants to do it. So maybe if he tells us both, one of us might muster up the courage. But there's another verse in Ephesians 5 that's incredibly helpful. It says this, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. See, there are spiritual things that are happening. There are forces that are trying to divide us in our relationships. And what Jesus is saying, what the scriptures are saying, that we need to have a sense of urgency. When you've been hurt, you need to go and make things right. When you have hurt someone, you need to go and make things right. In fact, we should have so much urgency that we should not let the sun go down on our anger, lest things get worse in our hearts. See, even one night's sleep can start to cement in the distance in our relationships. Conflict avoidance is the opposite of what the scriptures teach. Instead, we're to go. But here's the beautiful thing. When we handle conflict resolution wisely, it can actually help us draw closer to that person than ever before. Actually, Conflict resolution can actually restore intimacy in our relationships. That's the good news. The bad news is poorly handled conflict is the cause of even more damage. So we're going to walk through the right way to handle difficult situations. Again, look at Matthew 5. If you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. There's an urgency. Go. Go to reconcile. Notice Jesus doesn't say, go and tell that person what an idiot they are. He doesn't say, go and vent your anger on them. It's not about proving yourself right. It's not about putting them in their place. It's not about arguing. The goal is to repair the relationship. The goal is reconciliation. See, in our relationships, we need to prioritize those relationships over our pain. And if you don't go with the intention of restoring the relationship, it's easy to get baited into arguments and offense, furthering the damage in the relationship. Years ago, I began to realize it is more important to make things right than to be right. 
We'd get into an argument, my wife and I, and I would win the argument and lose my wife. I was very lonely, but I was right. See, it is more important to make things right than to be right. And so when you go, you're going to reconcile. The, you're not going to blow things up. Don't go to blows. Don't go to vent. Don't go to justify the anger that you feel. Instead, I want you to try something completely different. When someone hurts you, I want you to assume the best. Assume they didn't mean it the way you took it. Assume that it's just a big misunderstanding. And when you go to them and you go to be reconciled, it's important to be authentic without becoming hostile. To be honest while still being respectful. The scriptures say it this way. Jesus said, treat others the way you would have them treat you. When someone comes to you with a posture of, I assume I misunderstood, I want us to be good. Can we talk about something that happened? Versus, I need to tell you something. Matthew 18, again, says, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault when the two of you are alone. If he listens to you, you have regained your brother. See, this passage reiterates and makes clear that when there is an offense, we need to go privately. That's the opposite of go public, right? When we approach the conflict in a relationship in a one-on-one manner first, it gives us the opportunity to make things right, for things to come back together. I mean, consider the difference in these approaches, right? Going to someone or someone coming to you saying this, look, this happened and it really hurt and I haven't been able to stop thinking about it because I feel like it's pushing me away from you and I haven't talked to anyone else. I just want to come to you first. What if we did that instead of the alternative? Look, this happened and it really hurt I haven't been able to stop thinking about it because I feel like it's pushing me away from you. And so I went to your family. I went to your friends to find out why would he do this to me. They didn't give me any answers, so I ranted about it on Facebook. (laughs) And I tagged you in an image of you. And that didn't make me feel better, so now I'm coming to you. Which do you prefer? The first, right? Now you got Mark Zuckerberg involved, right? (laughs) Don't go to others first. Go to that person privately. Give them the opportunity. Respect them. Care for them enough to give them the chance to even make things right. They may not even know they hurt you. Coming privately immediately diffuses a whole layer of defensiveness just between me and you. Now, this also starts to change our relationships with others. See, if someone comes to you and they just need to vent, suddenly it feels good because they trust you, they can tell you anything, but you're now contributing to the problem. Instead, send them back to that person. One of the, a wedding I did years ago when we lived in Los Angeles, the couple had a big argument on their wedding night, so big that she took off her wedding ring and she called her mom. And she told her mom about their argument, and she said, I told you you should have never married him. 
and she never put that wedding ring back on. And so ever since then, I now do something new at every wedding I've ever done since. I don't do the whole, and if any of you here would object to this wedding, please stand up so we can shame you. We don't, I don't do that. Because I doubt that mom would have stood up. But instead, what I say is, you know how there's like a bride side and a groom side? I say, you came in and you may have chosen a side, but now you're on their side. And if he comes to you complaining about her, or if she comes to you complaining about him, you hug them, you cry with them, and then you send them back. Because now you're on their side. You do not take one side over the other. See, the problem is when we go and vent with some other people, all of a sudden, that person is now embittered towards the person we're mad at. And if we make things right with that person, there's bitterness over here, and they are not a part of being in the solution. So if we were to listen to what Jesus says, listen to what the scriptures said, we could actually, instead, when someone comes back to us, give them wise ways to draw that person back to themselves, encourage them to reconcile, to go one-on-one first. Ephesians 4, look at this one again. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. See, when we do go, we need to go speak the truth. We need to be open and honest about what happened. Now, we address and go through and resolve conflict differently. Some of us are runners. We do not like conflict. We like to pretend it did not happen. Don't ask, don't tell, right? Just, I don't want to deal with this. Others of us are chasers. We want this to be resolved, and we will not stop until we resolve it. How many of you grew up in families that were runners? You did not like conflict. They do not, we did not see how to do that, all right? You're running even now. Didn't even raise your hand. All right, that's all right. <laughs> we know who you are. Chasers. How many of you are chasers? You've got to have it resolved, even to the point of where you're annoying. All right, that's me. Now, I grew up in a family where we would yell at each other and feel better about ourselves. Well, that didn't work as well on my wife, who came from a family that did not have conflict, or at least not that was seen. And so I would yell at my wife, and I would feel better. And she would die a little bit. (laughs) And she would run. She didn't want to have these kind of conversations. And she's a fast runner. And I'm a quick chaser. And I would chase after her. And we would try to resolve it. And she would try not to resolve it. And so we finally came to a, a new way of dealing with it. See, the scriptures say... You got to resolve this before the sun goes down. And so I'd be like keeping her up all night. We got to resolve this. We got to fine, just have your way, you know, like, but that's not what it means. Here's something that really helped us. If you're a runner, try this. If you're with a chaser, how about this? I want you to know, I love you. God is for us. We will resolve this. Let's talk about this on Saturday. And you're putting it on the calendar. When Deb would say something like that, you know what I would do? I would go literally put it on my calendar. Saturday, this is getting resolved, right? And sometimes I recommend having that resolution conversation in public, right? Go to the coffee shop, go to Kirby Lane so you can deal with it more respectfully than you might privately. 
But what's fascinating about this, if you resolve tonight, we know we love each other. Tonight, we are on the same page. We will resolve this. And let's spend the time necessary to come to consensus on what we will do moving forward. You'll find a great deal of healing. When we go, we need to be honest about how we feel. And when we go into these moments, own anything you can. Hey, I want you to know I may have completely misunderstood you. But when you did this, it made me feel that. That's a healthy way to have the conversation. Avoid statements like, you always blank. That doesn't work. You never blank. That definitely doesn't work. You're such a blank. That's the worst of all, all right? That inflames things. That makes things worse. But when we come together, we're there to share the truth so that we can be reconciled. We say things like, I don't like the distance I feel between us. I want to be back on the same page with you. It's important to vocalize our pain, but also express the importance of the relationship to us. If they matter to us, they deserve the truth. Don't go when you do, go. Don't go and withhold. See, 90% of the truth isn't the truth. And if you find yourself thinking, you know, I just couldn't say that to them, or if I tell them this, it'll just make everything worse. Whatever you're planning to avoid is the seed that can blow up later. It's the seed of bitterness. It's fuel for a future conflict. By the way, whenever there is bitterness in a relationship, it creates doubt in the relationship. It's better to say it all now. And the key is humility. And and that's why those be transformed cards, those red cards all around you, that's why we point you towards things like recovery. We have an open share group where you can jump in even this Wednesday night. We have marriage workshop coming up. We have grief share. We have a new group for women who have lost little ones called Grace Like Scarlet. These are incredible support groups to help you deal with things that might be contributing to how you're experiencing life even right now. All of these you can find out at the, recover, at the uh, Connect Spot or at gatewaychurch.com slash south. But when you go, be open and honest with everything that you're experiencing. Care more about them in that moment than you care about how it might make you look. See, the goal is to restore the relationship. You can even say something like this. If I don't say this, there will still be an invisible thing between us. When we share the truth, when we share our hearts, it enables us to create a better bond with the other. Now, here's the catch. There are no guarantees. You cannot control how someone else will respond. And as we talked in this whole series, you and I are only responsible with how we respond to how others act. We can't change how they act but we can change our response to their actions, which leads to one of my favorite verses in the scripture. It's in Romans 12. It says this, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You might be in a relationship and you've done all the right things. I mean, even ask yourself, have I done my best? Did I go with the intention of reconciliation? Did I go privately? Did I go and and share the truth as well as my heart? If that is true of you, then you can entrust that relationship to God. 
because you cannot make them forgive you. As far as it's possible, as far as it depends on you, if it is possible, live at peace with everyone. See, the people in our lives are far too important to let conflict kill our relationship. And this is important. Temporary discomfort is better than permanently discarding someone who matters to you. Now, in this series, we've talked in the context often of marriage, and we've said these are relationship killers with friends, with extended family, with coworkers as well. But I also want to point out that this is also true in your relationship with God. See, some of us are here, and, and, and you hear Wes and Prima's story, and you can hear elements that were true of you, or maybe even are true of you right now. And I want you to hear their story is a miraculous story, and that can be your story too. I mean, Wes, in the midst of treatment, calling out to God and feeling what felt like a hug, even though he was all alone in the room. Prima having friends reaching out and caring for her. See, if you're here and God feels distant to you, or you've never had a sense of his presence, let me just ask you to consider, is it possible that you've been communicating in code with God rather than being honest with him? Is it possible that in your relationship with God, it's about getting your way always? I mean, maybe even your prayers are, God, bless what I'm doing right now. God, give me what I want. My will be done on earth as I want it to be in heaven. (laughs) Rather than God, I don't like what's happening right now. Would you help me trust you in the midst of this? See, we need to develop a faith that's bigger than our circumstances. Or maybe you're dwelling on what's wrong, forgetting the moments that God was there for you. Realizing that those are moments we can hang on to, that he is with us even when it doesn't feel like it. Or maybe we've been avoiding commitment. See, fully surrendering in our relationship with God, fully committing to God means acknowledging Our past and our present and our future, our hang-ups and our mistakes and the evil choices that we've made and even our hopes and our dreams, all of those things we give to God and he gives us back what's best. See, this idea of temporary discomfort is better than permanently discarding someone who matters to you. That's how God treated us. He came and he walked among us, intentionally giving his life, dying on the cross a couple years ago, we did a series called How to Get Killed in Six Days. This series is an homage to that. How to Get Killed in Six Days, we looked at how Jesus was hailed as the Messiah and the hero, and within six days, the same people crying out, God is with us, were crying out, crucify him. See, Jesus went through death on the cross to take upon himself all of the evil and the darkness that we have chosen and have experienced. And then when we come to him, that same power that rose Jesus from the dead comes to live within us, allowing us to live new, transformed lives that we might experience his love and extend that love to others. We might experience his forgiveness and extend that forgiveness to others. See, God wants to restore our relationship with him and restore our relationship with each other. We are peacemakers, experiencing the peace of God and extending that peace to others. Let me read this from Romans chapter five. 
Christ arrives right on time to make this happen. He didn't and doesn't wait for us to get ready. He presented himself for the sacrificial death when we were far too weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready. And even if we hadn't been so weak, we wouldn't have known what to do anyway. We can understand someone dying for a person worth dying for, and we can understand how someone good and noble could inspire us to selfless sacrifice. But God put his love on the line for us by offering his son and sacrificial death while we were of no use whatever to him. See, God sees you and has chosen to move towards you. So in this moment, I just want to create the space that you might connect your heart to him. Maybe for the first time. Maybe for the 1,000th or 1 millionth time. Recently, I heard somebody say, when you say, I do on your wedding day, That's just the first of a daily I do. And the same is true in our relationship with God. When you say, yes, I need what you did on the cross to count for me. Yes, I follow you. Every morning you've got to get up and ask him for the help to follow him again every day. See, there's darkness that tries to divide us from God, divide us from the people around us, but there is light that is more powerful than the dark.